Hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest, we have Ryan Coots. Um, Ryan, we found on uh, Twitter and uh, before I go into the episode, because it was an excellent episode um, and some like really amazing conversations happened and discussions about depression and anxiety, just want to do a wee bit of housekeeping. Um, last couple of weeks, if you can hear the wind blowing, by the way, or any sort of like sirens as I can hear them in the background, it's because... Um, I'm recording a podcast outside, just bef- and it's before that podcast that I do this intro. Um, the podcast has really sort of taken off in the last couple of weeks. I think off the back of a couple of really powerful episodes. Um, I just want to say thank you to Jeanette Finley from Call It Out. We get a sort of small taste of the type of abuse that that woman gets um, just by putting out a, a, an episode that featured her. And we've been called all sorts, um, mainly by some faceless Union Jacks and... Rangers support in Twitter feeds. Um, none of that really bothers me, if I'm being honest. We were well aware that that was going to happen, but I just wanted to give Jeanette a shout-out because not only did we get a taste of that, um, she also did an incredible episode and the feedback that we've been getting on that episode has been just out of this world. Um, the downloads have went mental, uh, people subscribing has went mental, so thank you. And also thank you to Chris Bungard, um, his episode did a thousand views overnight um, across all platforms, a thousand listens I should say, and um, unfortunately he didn't win his fight uh, Saturday night, but what a guy, um, and another, like, I thought a really good episode, and again the feedback was incredible about how down to earth he was and how much a, a nice guy is despite uh, being able to rip your fucking head off, um, but anyway this week's episode, Ryan we sat down with Ryan and we spoke about uh, depression and anxiety, the differences between the two, um, how mental health issues are sort of overstated and on Twitter mainly, um, bodybuilding, how the gym can be actually a negative to your mental health as well as a huge positive as we already know. Um, we also talked to Ryan about uh, his generation, um, the sort of 21, 22 year olds right now that um, do have uh, mental, bad mental health, but not mental illness, and how like the sort of weekend culture and cocaine and alcohol really feeds in to that uh, that phenomenon that we're seeing. And we talk about air quotes the fear and how much of the fear is just a hangover, and then anxiety on top of the hangover making it last two or three days. Um, I want to thank Ryan. He came in, lovely guy cracking chat but open and honest about his mental health issues and without further ado here's the episode with Ryan again thanks to Jeanette thanks to Chris Bungard thanks to everybody that's been on the podcast so far we're going to keep going we've got some exciting episodes coming up but without further ado here's Ryan Uh, so hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Rebel City Podcast. Um, as always, myself, uh, Matt and my colleague Paul. And today we're sitting talking uh, with Ryan Coots. Um, Ryan is um, somebody who I recently met at a, an STUC event. Um, if you're following us on social media, you might have seen us sort of tweeting about me getting up and talking shite for us. 
<laughs> basically, <laughs> a, basically an advert for the Rebel City. Unfortunately, um, I get 24 hours notice on it. Yeah, I, know, I should I know, really yeah. keep an eye on the fucking That was email. actually part of my part, was that you know, it was only me because we actually forgot it was on. <laughs> um, so at the event, obviously, we were discussing uh, sort of, you know, attitudes towards mental health uh, and how you know various people in and around their communities are, are doing a bit of work. Um, to try and you know help improve other people's lives and their mental health in general. Um, I, Ryan, you are a, a member of the group that we've previously had in um, before with Gary Folds. Aye. Um, so I don't know. Are you about to tell us a wee bit about your, you know, your your group and your journey? Well, I started off last year. I moved through the, to Springburn for Falkirk and just hit my lot a ton of bricks. I'd, yeah. I'd been off my lot with stress few weeks prior to it and I, know, I just had sorted myself out mm-hmm. and it was all just uh, a flash like before we knew it we were moved to like moving day yeah and I think just uh, the moving out for what I knew moving away from my family although I know it's no far but it just it hit me like a ton of bricks mm-hmm. like the, the the isolation and the loneliness uh, felt like Obviously, I know like, everybody, we're all getting older, we've all got our own plans and that, and mm-hmm. I just feel like none of my pals are, were coming to see me, but I think just the whole one-way thinking, I was like, ah, oh, nobody wants to come see me, like the anxiety just racked up, mm-hmm. so turned to drink. And was it, it was, you were moving for Falkirk? Falkirk, aye, to Springburn, just, I, I turned to drink, big mm-hmm. time, uh, to the point where it became a massive, massive problem. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm... Predominantly night shift my work, coming mm-hmm. home for the morning, having a bevy, bevy on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, even like waking up on the Monday, although you're rough, you're like, ah, can't wait for the next drink. And yeah. it was just that whole feeling, a sense of normality. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want to feel the anxious way, and it just it built up over months. And obviously, Gary's group was there, mm-hmm. and I'd convinced myself that I was fine. Yeah. And my own head, I'm like, see, I'm going to go to the group, I'm going to. Use my experience with mental health because I've been going through it for the last six years. Well, right. diagnosed six years ago, but I think it's been happening for like my early teens. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, I'm going to pass on my knowledge. I've been through a lot. I sat down at a group with Gary. Gary's like, you want to share? I just spoke about the fact that the isolation, the loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there and I'm like, fuck, I need to help myself. Yeah. So that's, that's like, I'm now like best pals with Gary through mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the boys like Gary, Kai, Stevie, Michael, who are not yeah. been on the show. Yeah, we've had Mike he, as well. He came a bit later on, but mm-hmm. boys have been fantastic with me, and it's it's got to a point now where I'm helping run the group. Yeah. So it's it, the the full thing's been so so positive. That's amazing. I mean, obviously, in you know sort of previous episodes, I've I've alluded to you know issues with the drink as well, and I'm, I'm in a, a similar area, so I can't imagine that. Either of our stories are, are sort of particularly unique in the, in the sort of northeast of Glasgow, um, but I mean I can absolutely sort of resonate with what you're saying there. Is that it's it's amazing how quickly that destructive behaviour can become normal when you've got the shutters on. And I have made use of groups myself in the past, no not necessarily your own group, even though I've been quite close to coming along a few times and the anxiety got the better of me. Um, <clears throat> like the the groups for me, I've found as well that you go in going right. Do you know what? You're almost like walking in the door the first time with a tick box exercise and going like, somebody tell me this will work for me and do you know what, I'll get it a go because, you know, it'll shut them up. And then you go there and, and you, you know, that first time you actually share your experiences with somebody, 
it can be quite a, a kind of revelatory moment where you kind of go, do you know what, actually, this isn't me just paying lip service to other people's. This is me actually, like, recognising in myself that I do have something that I need to address. And, like, I think your group and, and obviously, you know, what you're doing in general, it kind of helps, you know, dispel that myth that, like, men don't want to talk. Because we've heard that time and time again, you know, through the process of the recording the podcast and, and various other things that we've done alongside it. But, like, my experience is that seeing you guys are an actual opportunity to sit down and, and actually put stuff out there. Like, they do. And I think the merit the better. You know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, I'm sorry. You're turning into me. Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be the one that goes in big long rants and you're supposed to control me. But, um, see, when you were saying, like, Obviously, like the move's been the, the sort of breaking point, but you were saying it started in your early teens. Do you know like where it came from? I've uh, family problems, uh, which I think kind of more sunk in as I got older. The, mm. the more like the, the like the first three years when because I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, um, mm. when it was at the point of, like I was waking up when my depression was bad, I just didn't want to be here. Like. Yeah. I just, it was so emotional in terms of like, like, I spent pretty much my entire teenage years like crying and no understanding why. Yeah. To the point of now, like, I, I'm not really that much an emotional guy anymore and I always laugh and say it's because I spent that many years crying when I was a teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But my my emotion just focused on anger. Uh, and it was, it was my now fiance when it was when I started going out with her, she'd say to me like, like you need to sort your, sort yourself out or, mm-hmm. or I'm away. Yeah. I think it was that point I kind of had the realisation because we were only like, maybe like six months in, but I cared about her and obviously you're, you're not wanting to end. Mm-hmm. I need to sort myself out, so I went to doctors. But mm-hmm. I mean, I spent the first three years after my diagnosis just like, I built a, a red rag. Like, yeah. Just wanting to fight with everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, just everything. The, the slightest thing was like a light switch mm-hmm. and the red mist was done. It was... It was it was scary. So I think like just just see the kind of going through it all and realizing that was like the kind of the, the clicking point. See mm-hmm. when I, when I came out of depression, I was like, ah, ah, that's that's where that stems from. Was was family problems in my mm-hmm. my early when years. you were younger. I think. There's a lot of stuff going on about. Um, I don't know if you've seen about like ACEs, like adverse childhood experiences. But there's a list of like twelve things that when you read it it's like emotional violence in the household physical violence in the household uh, a parent leaving when somebody's going through the formative years and these 12 things if you have one or more of these things it, it means that you're predisposed to like mental health issues when you become an adult but see when you read the list mate you're literally like i've got all of them <laughs> like to a certain extent um and I think it's really important for people, like, see what you're saying? I, I, I keep saying this to a lot of people. See if you have something like anger where you just fly off the handle, you need to recognise that there's something causing that. It's not just that, see, when you talk to people and they're like, I'm just an angry person. You're not just an angry person. Like, if you're going about looking for fights or you're, like, you've got destructive relationships, like, in the Friday night, you start getting drunk and you don't sober up until, what, the Monday morning? you kind of need to look at yourself and go, what the fuck's going on in my head here? Like, why am I doing this? 
but th these sort of things are just so prevalent in people. I mean, we are, I'm matched what, 37? You just talked about 37. I'm coming up week. for 36. But see that sort of Sunday, uh, sorry, Friday to Sunday, just going out getting smashed like with your mates. Like everybody did that. Absolutely everybody did mm -hmm. that. And then I think with the sort of emergence of social media, people are like, oh, I don't feel right. I, I feel depressed. And it's like, well, what are you doing on a Friday night? Like, yeah. what, what, why are you doing this? And like, I think that you, it sounds to me like you're lucky that you've managed to sort of open your eyes. Like, it sounds like, and I think this is probably another common one. People get a girlfriend and their girlfriend's like, look, I really like you, but you need to sort your shit out here. And it's that sort of slap, like the wake up call. Where this is like, one of the things that when we when we met at the STUC, I, I, I kind of felt like a, a bit of kinship with you because my story is quite similar. My, I got my first diagnosis at 19. Um, I met Stacey in my mid-20s, realised pretty quickly that I needed to sort myself out. But as you say, I had a six, seven year period between there where I was in just total denial. And that anger and that kind of, you know, loneliness, that isolation that you feel is there. And I think it's because at a younger age as men, we don't have the support structures like the groups that you're involved in and stuff like that. Because it's great that we can put these things together and, and we're older days, you know, a bit more wiser and stuff like that. But what are we doing to stop 19, 20-year-old kids falling into that pit? You know what I mean? Because like, I don't think we do enough there. I think that emotional intelligence, that understanding of yourself is something that we should be teaching to guys at a much younger age so that when they get to, you know, adulthood, they're not feeling that anger, they're not feeling that isolation, you know? I think, like, it's it's such a <clears throat> Scottish thing. Like, it happens everywhere, like, that's a redneck. Mm -hmm. And I think, personally, like, I've got a great support group of pals. Like, my pals have been fantastic with me. Yep. Like, my family's been fantastic. But I know for a fact that that boys out there who are gone and getting smashed Friday, Saturday, Sunday, waking up and going, why do I feel like shite? They're going to their pals, they're like, fuck up, you're fine. Aye. And folk will be embarrassed to go to their pals. Like, I, I was the same. Uh, I'm now very, very open yep. with, with how I feel and what's going on because I want to be able to help people. But mm -hmm. for the first like three years when I was like going through depression rather than anxiety, like what I go through now, mm -hmm. It was I just shot myself off everybody like, yeah. because it was I was ashamed like yep. th like even the only person I would really open up to was was my missus yeah, like, so important and that one just like your girlfriend one we've this is what's weird what I found weird is me and Matt went on a podcast two weeks ago um called Drunk Therapy it's not been put out yet. And one of the questions, and I don't know, I wonder why. I, 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 it might never, depending on how it went. I, don't know, I can remember. But um, the guy asked us after we'd had like four or five beers, like, what was it like coming out to your pal? Because I've had addiction problems and I've had, I've never been diagnosed. I think that on reflection of what I went through, I, I think I woke up early enough that I didn't go down the rabbit hole and end up having to go to a doctor mm. um, and caught it early enough. But he asked us, um, what was it like coming out to each other as like best pals? Me and Matt have known each other since we were five. And we literally turned around to each other and went, we've never done it. And we did it on live on a podcast. Mm -hmm. We run a, a mental health podcast. We sit and talk about mental health to each other. We've had 30 odd episodes of this and we had never turned around and admitted to each other, I, I've got a problem. I've, I've, I've been an addict. And mm -hmm. it took us to get drunk. And then for a guy to sit there and say, well, go say it to each other. And I just find that incredibly fucking yeah. strange. But also, 
I know why. Do you know what I mean? It's exactly Aye. what you're talking about. It's like that's a pure redneck. Like, can you imagine? I can't imagine being an East End and being fifteen and turning around to my mate and going, "Do you know? Sometimes I, I I feel nervous and I don't want to come out and play football because I don't think you's like me." Or but people are like, "What are you talking about? Aye. Like, know what I mean? Like, Aye. shut up, mate! Like, Aye. fucking hell!" But. It's something that we really need to encourage amongst like young people, do you know what I mean? Aye, definitely. I think like see as well, like when the anxiety consumes you like that, like you just all the all the bad thoughts just just run through your head. Like, cause that is like last year, my mum she's been saying to me like that, stop the drinking. My mum had said to me, stop the drinking. Like mm-hmm. everybody in my family seen the destructive path I was going down. Yeah. But mm-hmm. because I convinced myself that I was fine, I'm like, fuck up, fine. I'm alright, don't yeah. And it wasn't until the second week of the group, I picked Gary up because he didn't have a motor. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to him. Like, because obviously, we'd only met the week before, we didn't yeah. know each other. Telling him my story, and he turned around and was like, ah, Mate, you've got a problem. And it was like, it was a surreal experience because it was as if I was up here and I was looking down the conversation, and it was that light bulb moment. Like, oh, I've got a problem, and it took yeah. for a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, when the anxiety consumes you, like, if people tell them, my mates are saying I had a problem and all, and I was like, ah. you just, because you convince yourself that you're all right, mm-hmm. yeah. you don't generally tend to listen to anybody, that. which that could also become a problem in itself. When, mm-hmm. when you're shutting yourself off, you've got the blinkers on, it would be hard for you to come out of that. I yeah. was, to be fair, that probably would have been me if it wasn't for Gary saying to me. Yeah. And it was just literally because a stranger had said to me, you've got a problem. Yeah. Because I think when, when you're around people that love you, like, they have got your best interest. I know absolutely everybody had my best interest, but yep. you're like, nah, they're talking shit. Like, That's you know, it. It's yeah. like, you're defending yourself. You know that it's going to be hard. You know that it's going to probably hurt a bit. And you know that you're going to go through so much shit to try and deal with this stuff. But I spent years doing the same thing, just telling myself, nah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm brilliant, like, I'm doing fine, I'm doing, I've got a good job, I've, I've got a relationship, I've got mates, I'm doing fine, but deep down inside I knew something wasn't right, Aye. do you know what I mean, and see that, I think that's part of, I, I remember, I think my watershed moment came when I read somebody describing on Twitter, what it was, so it was like anxiety, a thread or whatever, and it was like a 10 tweet thread where the guy was like, when I go, I go in public transport, I feel sort of nervous, I get clammy horns. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I do that. And it's like, when I need to text people, I, I, I get nervous about texting them, like, I, I do that. And then it's like, if I need to confront somebody, I'm just, I'm a nervous wreck. I was like, fuck man, that's me. And then I was like, do you know what, man, I've got anxiety. And I'd never thought about it before. Yeah. I just thought, this is just the way that I am. I'm just, a, I didn't even think that I had like anxiety. I just thought, well, this is just who I am. I think everybody experiences it at some point, though, mm-hmm. didn't I? I yeah. think the, the hardest part for me, um, over the years I've had a few panic attacks, but I've never really experienced anxiety. It yeah. was always depression. And mm-hmm. I think when I came out of it, I was like, ah, right, I'm better now. Like, I can go back to living a normal life. Yeah. So when that set in last year, I'd, I'd, because I hadn't really experienced that, I didn't really know what it was. Mm-hmm. I just always associated anxiety with with panic attacks, which I'd only had like a handful yeah. over the years, <clears throat> but still a handful of panic attacks. I know, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's only ring alarm bells. Uh, it's only a handful. But I know, but like, like last year, I just I walked into work. I had a breakdown on a Sunday. Like 
it was stupid, just like lay in bed. I came off the night shift, I was going back on the day shift on the Monday, just lay in bed and just bust out greeting. Like yeah. couldn't breathe, hyperventilating and my was like, ah, what's wrong with you? And I was like, ah, I honestly don't know. Yep. Like and that was that was like my first day of the group was just Saturday, that was just Sunday, went in and worked on the Monday and that was it. It was like the social anxiety. Mm-hmm. I just walked in and my head was fried. I couldn't like I had a simple job that I mean, it was a two-minute job and I made it a complete content. Yeah. Mm. Like, three times in a row and one of the guys I worked with, like, he knows everything about uh, what I go through and mm-hmm. he was like, are you all right? I went, no. I said, I, I need to go home. Like, I can't be around people. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was when I went to the doctors and I'm like, I it's, uh, your anxiety's really mm-hmm. bad. Like, that's when I decided I needed to challenge us. I need mm-hmm. to do something about it. What was the main differences between, because I think that you get a lot of, Depression and anxiety. So people say I've I suffer from depression and anxiety. What do you what would you say for you was the main differences between the two of them? Depression for me was like waking up in the morning just not wanting to be here. Like no energy, didn't want to go to bed, didn't want to shower, like just physically didn't want to do anything. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. and you've just obviously like you've got the like the dark thoughts running around your head, which is yep. like it's horrible to talk about and it's horrible for people to hear, but mm-hmm. the reality is that is depression. Like yep. mm-hmm. There's many a time where I woke up and I was like, I could just throw myself off the road bridge, could throw myself in front of a train, I don't want to be here. Like, mm-hmm. And I self-harmed up like a few times when I was depressed, like, I caught myself yeah. because it was a form of release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it, and again, it's horrible, but I think people need to hear it. Like, Absolutely. When when I was cutting myself, it was like just that weight off my shoulders, and but it didn't help. But it, it helped for like... Half an hour, and then you went back to it. Whereas, yeah. like when I was, my anxiety was bad last year. I had social anxiety, so I was like stuck in the house for six weeks. Like, couldn't. I was terrified of crowds. Like, yep. yeah. Every time I challenged myself, and I'm like, because I was off my for two months with it. Mm-hmm. Like, right, need to challenge myself because like the, the boys were great. Boys in the group were like, right, yep. you need, to, you can't lie down to this. You're letting it consume you. Yeah. And I'd step outside and like, nah, for that, and go back in. This is something that I've kind of tried to take on board myself after having Gary in because I think on the day that he came to visit us he, he, he maybe wasn't feeling you know 100% and we, we gave him the option to obviously you know we'll do it another day and at that point he went no it's important that day because I don't feel great uh-huh. and we're like you know what and that was something that I was I was with you see I'd, when we had Gary in I think I'd had a four week period where I'd just been curtain shut door shut no answer on the phone nothing and it was a good few weeks at that point and hearing that film was something that I was like, Do you know what, I'm going to try and take that forward. And it is something that I have used to my advantage. And it is an important thought that even when you're having these anxious moments, it is probably important more than ever to actually like step up and confront it. Aye, definitely. Like if, see if you don't, I'll say to anybody that's suffering with mental health, like if you don't challenge it, you, you're letting it win. Yep. You need to, if, if it's social anxiety like what I had, you need to progressively get yourself out there, even if it's like, 10, 15 minutes, I, I progressed up to the point where I went to a concert mm-hmm. and Aye. like I was still going through it but I made adjustments to the so I was in plenty of room, mm-hmm. I was near an exit, like make the adjustments, like when you get to a point where you're comfortable and you can go and do it, make the adjustments to shoot the way that you're feeling but mm-hmm. like for the first, like I got put in that uh, antidepressants mm-hmm. for my anxiety and they, 
doll said to me they take six weeks to kick in and like they six weeks were torture because mm. I was just in my head I wanted to be better uh, you're waiting for it to I, happen aren't you and there's just, a war zone as well I, when I, you're on the way up with the pills as I well I just sat there in my, my house frying like Aye. my missus went away to work in the morning I was hardly sleeping at night I was getting up early doors I'd sit and either watch Netflix all day I would in the shower I'd play the Playstation she'd get home so I've got like that eight nine hour span where mm. I'm just no talking to anybody I'm not looking at my phone yeah, it's just me, my thoughts, and like I was a wreck. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. by the time she came home, I was an absolute wreck. Yeah, but like, you've been for a show, not the way I go for a show. So I suppose like the, the the social anxiety aspect and last year and the depression, like the, the no want to do anything, but mm-hmm. very very summer, mm-hmm. um, because I, it was just my head was just overrun me with thoughts. It just like freaking out. Or, or yeah. absolutely overthinking. I think that's a that's a determination that. As we educate people and as, as people become more aware of, not just, you know, awareness, you know, mental health awareness, but, like, what the actual reality of people managing their mental health successfully looks like, um, <clears throat> that differentiation between anxiety and depression is important because, you know, now I can look back on my experiences, as you do, as Paul does, and go, well, actually, that wasn't a depression, that was my anxiety and vice versa. And it makes the day-to-day management of my depression and anxiety more effective because I'm more mindful of my state now. And being able to tell the difference between what you're experiencing allows you to put whatever measures you've got in place quickly and effectively. And I think that's something that it's important because when you were talking about it earlier on, you were saying people on social media will say, I've got depression, anxiety, and it's almost as if they are almost considered the one thing. And I think as people start to get to grips with themselves, it's important to recognise that they are two very distinct things, even though sometimes, as you say, they might have like similar, you know, sort of traits and stuff like that. But that's been a key for me. Being able to, I, I, this year was the first year I ever said to my boss, I kind of came in the day because of my anxiety. In the past, I would go, I've got a sore stomach. Mm-hmm. I've got the runs. I've got, you know, a migraine or whatever it is, you know what I mean? But in actual fact, all the way back through my entire working career, probably any time I've done that, I've subconsciously actually been saying to myself, no, this is because you're no right. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, How's your work been? Like Good, when I... you've been taking time off and stuff, have they been supportive? I, the, um, when I first went off in July last year, I thought I moved out, it was like the stress of a manager. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I've kind of always sugarcoated what I've what I've went through, like my work allowed me to go for counselling sessions and that when I was going going through a depression, yeah. like mm-hmm. I got time off work to go and do that. And I've always just kinda kinda sugarcoated it and there was just something clicked in my head that day and I went, you know what, nah fuck it. Cars are going on the table, absolute everything. I just I went in my HR, told them everything that I'd been through. And they have been supportive and then when I went in when I went after the two months, I went in the Monday and I was like, oh, can I do this? Mm-hmm. Like physically, can I do this? I think yeah. it's really important that we the places workplaces actually progress rapidly with us because in years gone by even if you go back to maybe even 2015 mm-hmm. if somebody was coming into work and saying oh i just don't feel right or i just don't i just don't feel good people would be like fucking man up like uh, get a grip yourself get yourself in yeah. do you know what i mean what you're doing yeah whereas i think now there's a lot of places are realizing that and i think unfortunately it's because it costs them so much money oh. but no matter Billions what. a year in lost time for people right. no addressing, you know, those are sore stomachs and sore heads and all the rest that the cost of day's work. That's millions upon millions of people that could essentially be saying, 
you know what? Actually, maybe I don't feel great. Mm -hmm. And getting the right help to stop further absences and further, you know, missed work hours and days Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So definitely. How much do you think that the... Because we're we're definitely seeing... I don't know if we're seeing an actual peak in mental health issues or whether or not it's just more prevalent because we're all interconnected now and people can communicate very easily. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I've read loads of stuff where it's saying that we're seeing it's like an epidemic and then I've read other stuff that's saying well actually reported clinical depression is the same as what it's always been it's just that we're seeing we know more about it because we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing social media and that but how much do you think amongst your generation is it like lifestyle versus actual because you you get I don't want to I'm no pointing the finger at anybody when I, when I say this but people's lifestyles such as what you're saying like living for your weekend going out and getting absolutely like cunted on a friday night and then no tipping back up causing arguments with your missus how much do you think is that amongst or do you see amongst like your generation of people versus people that are actually just depressed and they're but they're doing everything that they can with their lifestyle to try and sort of combat it i think it's, it's massive massive in my generation because you're right it's I mean, I've done it. Like, yeah. So did we. Like, oh, I, I think I, I, everybody done it, but I think like people are then making the connection between the two. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I did realise, it did take me a while to, to realise the connection between the two, but obviously people will have their issues. Like People have got their underlying issues. I mean, we don't get anxiety and depression for nothing, do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, I, there's a, I think that mm. there's always a starting point, but... Um, we can see the wood for the trees because what you're doing is is that you're hyper you're making it hyperactive by having this sort of destructive lifestyle so that you can't actually go back and just deal with the root cause like stuff that happened in your childhood do you know what i mean like attitudes towards you or whatever it is that's meant that you tell yourself i'm not good enough or i need to be better or bigger or stronger whatever it might be but we can't i think that people can't even see that because they're too caught up in the shit that they do that's destructive Aye. towards it. Like, Aye. right now, do you know Aye. what I mean? Like, such as alcohol, drugs, do you know what I mean? I mean, the amount of people that you see and, like saying, it's like, they're, they're talking about, I had mental health issues, and then you have a wee scroll through their Twitter, and you're like, you are absolutely kenning it the weekend. Like, <laughs> you might want to take a step back for that and realise that that has got something to do with how you feel. The, the thing is, you feel like when you've got your underlying issues, and folk are going out and just taking the absolute arse with it, Friday, yes. Sunday, they're getting up to whatever, they're no sleeping, they're finally getting asleep on a Sunday, and they wake up on Monday, and it's like, it just, you're right, it just it, it brings everything to the surface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're no understanding why that's happening. Like, they're, they're, like nobody's making yeah. the connection in my generation. Like, it's 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 mad. And I, I, I scroll through Twitter and I see it, and I'm like, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. Like, that's mm-hmm. you've got on. You've obviously got underlying issues for somewhere, but yeah. the drinking the drugs isn't helping. Like, you're, all your things bringing it to the surface. You're going through Monday to Friday depressed. Friday night comes. That's you. Vicious cycle. Yeah, you just mm-hmm. get to like open the valve and let the steam out. For me, it was always a comfort issue. So in terms of my my drinking and and my, you know, sort of substance abuse, like, I'm a wee bit maybe on the other end of the spectrum of that because, like, like you say, I'm I'm diagnosed from my late teens, dealt with through most of my 20s. I'm now nearly, well, 
pushing 40 as we had discussed <laughs> earlier on. Um, but for me, it. I was always quite conscious of the fact that although I was abusing drink and drugs and various other things, food, for example, um, that I was, uh, you know, part of me knew that I was, that's what it was. And that I was, I was, instead of these people in your generation who were accidentally masking maybe underlying issues with drinking drugs, like, I feel like maybe your generation were a wee bit more deliberate think about so? it. Do you I don't think know. That I think I certainly was. Even back when we were going out three, like Thursday to Sunday or Thursday to Saturday, I'd, I never, oh, no, I, right, I right. mean, I, when I think back to my twenties, I was, I was not aware. I would always like go, I would just be like, like you're saying, I'd just be like, I just can't wait to go for this night out, man. Just, I'm just choking for it. But then when I look back now, I realise that it's because I just wasn't happy. I was just, mm. I was wanting that escapism just to go out and just forget about everything. And some, some, I mean, we went through a period where we would be doing that three, four nights a ah, week easy. for a year. Do you know what I mean? And if you, I mean, I think somewhere doing I did know because again, like right. Ryan, like I, I remember one night um, falling asleep on the couch, uh, stupidly um, drunk with a cigarette in my hand and waking up as the cigarette burned through my trousers onto my leg. And so began a cycle of like burning myself because, like you say, that that release, that control, and all the things that that gave me. So I mean, as much as we were out four or five nights a week, I've said in the previous podcast, I was still out with other people the other three or four aye, nights a week. A, you know aye, what I mean? Like, and as I say, I was aware in my situation, deliberately no, sort of consciously no dealing with, it, and then as you say, dealing with addiction and sort of self harm. So I think, from my own personal point of view, I think it was something that somewhere deep inside I did deliberately you know no. what I mean like I was conscious of it. I was there was a, definitely a period of time where I was actively trying to destroy myself you mm. know what I mean like, and um, I think obviously recognising that has, has led to a big change in me you know what I mean like, so you know in terms of your generation how is it how, how do we get through to say like this is you know and something that you need to address is something you need to be aware of I think just mere folk talking about that like Aye. just awareness more than anything like because mm. You know what it's like. Folk, folk they get the blinkers on. Like I, like I think I was the same as what you're saying. Like when I first got diagnosed, it was a kind of combination of path of self-destruction and I can't wait for a weekend. Like it was that buzzing for your for your night out or whatever, but also wanting to feel normal. Whereas mm-hmm. last year, I was just sitting in the house myself. Like my missus is a big drinker, and yeah. I was like just just sat bevying myself. Yeah. Right? and I think that's when. You kind of realise that there is a problem there when you're just sitting yourself doing it, and mm-hmm. it's no, you're not going out with your pals. But yeah. like, just I think just the the whole awareness of the situation, like that's that's predominantly what's causing your problems. Like, mm-hmm. just stop it. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know Aye, I mean? that's it. That's something that I never really get into. I used to, I, I've got a mate that used to sit and he would say Thursday night, bought a bucket in the PlayStation. Friday night, Aye. be going out Saturday night, it would be in somebody's house, house party into Sunday and then go to my bed on Sunday afternoon when I get home and then up in Monday morning and go and he's a painting decorator and I used to think, fuck that man, like at 29, yeah. but at like 21 I would have been like, aye let's get on get on that man, yeah. fucking brilliant, but that's not something that I never really got into, mine was always like destructive relationships, I always had, and Matt will testify to this, there's been times in my life where I've chewed people up and spat them out, you know what I mean, and it was... When I look back, it's always been rooted in my ego and and that's always been like my kind of escapism is controlling 
like my relationships with people, making sure that I dominate their relationships. So it manifests itself in so many different ways, man. Like, so what was your recovery like? So you get diagnosed, which is, I mean, it's obviously been a positive thing for you that you get diagnosed, but what was it like from there? First three years were absolute torture. Yeah. Uh, to the, like, I'm so thankful for my missus. Like, she's been my absolute rock, like, over the last, like, six years. Because mm-hmm. there's so many times where people would have just walked. Like, mm-hmm. it was that bad. Yeah. Um, really, really bad relationship with mom. Like, it just, but I'd went to, like, over the, the space of the three years, I'd done three sessions of counselling. Which when I came out of the third session, I was like, ah, ah, it's me, I'm fine. But yeah. I mean, it was like, the first holiday we went on, uh, uh, last the last night, punched a wall, broke my hand. Two weeks later, arguing with my mum, mm. punched a wall, broke same hand again in a second place. And it was like, that was an awful form of release for me, like, yeah. like just punching walls. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like, that, that was absolutely torture. And then last year, was was tough as well because you're coming off like a six month drink binge yeah mm. and stopping that mm. on top of being feared to leave the house like oh that I, I turned end up turning to comfort eating because right, i knew right. i couldn't drink i just i've always been a like for the last six years went to the gym like really fit guy loved the gym mm-hmm. but like last year i just fell off it so I'd wake up in the morning because it, what I, I was going through, I'm like, right, she's, she's away a lot, like, I could have a drink. Mm. But there was just, there was something bigger in my head went, no, nah, like, we're stopping this. Yeah. So I turned to food. Mm. So it was like, I replaced one thing with all, and yeah. I was just like, oh, I don't know, they was eat, and it was like eating shit. Yeah. And it, like that, so that week, last year was really, really tough um, as well, until like I, like, I came out, I went back to work at the start of the new year. Mm-hmm. And, like that's when I like I look back now and but fuck that was that that was hard mm-hmm. yeah that was like really really hard going so your relationship because this is something that I'm quite interested in because I'm a I go to the gym religiously um do you think it, I I mean clearly you've been going to the gym while you've been depressed and that seems to be one of the sort of main things that people say is like health and fitness will help you with your mental health and I kind of call bullshit on that because I think that you can you can impose your poor mental health on any aspect of your life. So you can go to the gym and be toxic about going to the gym. Like, so for instance, like the amount of mental health issues amongst bodybuilders is incredible. And you would think, well, if health and fitness is the way to go to it, surely these guys should be like mentally absolute tip top. But do you think it helped or how, like what was your relationship like to the gym and working out? I I know, like at, at the start, I wouldn't say it was because come we we mental health comes like the body the body image yeah and mm-hmm. like I, the the first thing the the first time I went to the gym like, I used to go to the Archies all the time when it was on mm-hmm. and obviously it's a sweat face everybody runs about their top off uh-huh. like, four cows pals at a time yeah me like, take your top off or that's you're fat that's embarrassing right and I went oh, fuck I need to go to the gym but. That then <clears throat> turned into an eating disorder. <laughs> so right. it went from being like, I always just see myself as fat. Like at one point, I was just so determined to get a six pack that I was intaking 15 half calories a day mm-hmm. and taking two fat burners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it became a point, like, and like, I look back now and 
because I had a six pack, I felt brilliant. But I look back now at the pictures and I'm like, fucking hell, like I look anorexic. Yeah. I went through almost an identical sort of thing where at one point in time I was at like 7% body fat and I can remember like going to parties and take, lifting my tap up and mates being like, fuck's sake, man, and just being like, this is amazing. But not realising. You went for a fair size, didn't you? Like almost skin and bone, like aye, pretty much aye, overnight. I went for 22 stone, down to 12 stone in like a year and a half. So, but what I've realised now is that that toxic sort of mindset was pushing me into that space and it wasn't helping me at right. all. In fact, it was probably making things worse because like you were saying, I was at one point in time, I was eating chicken and broccoli like three or four times a day and that was it. And then I, I was have a protein shake, which would probably cause me to have fucking diarrhea or something. And then I was also taking creatine, roasting hot all the time. But I, I, like you're saying, I felt amazing about the way that I looked. I didn't actually feel amazing. Aye. Do you know what I mean? I, I was the exact same. Uh, and actually there was a picture came up my time hop like a few weeks ago, for like four years ago. And I, I, I think that's the first time I've actually looked at myself and went, you look ill. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to my missus, she went, I told you that at the time, but it, it does consume you. It definitely does. I, c- I couldn't hear people. I used to tell myself people are jealous when they tell you you're too skinny. I used to right. just be like, it's just jealousy, man. Like, I'm amazing, do you know what I mean? I, I, I was at one point I could fit into my missus' shorts in her room. Wow. That's how skinny I was, and my missus is really skinny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In her room. And that's she, she said that to me, she's like, I'll never forget you, turn and say to me, eh, you're just jealous of me because I'm I'm skinnier than you. And I'm like, ah, did I say that? And always that was like like peak depression, peak eating yeah. disorders, like just so clouded by everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, did I say that? And she went, aye. And I was like, like I kind of took a step back. And I was like, that's fucking horrible, man. That's like, it, right? yeah, we're sold this image. Like, see, you're saying about body image. We're sold this image about like here's the the pinnacle of health and fitness is a skinny lassie and like a guy and this is the thing that I was I was trying to, I was talking to another mate who's got somebody in his work who's started going to the gym and he was explaining to me like his workout routine and stuff like that because now the way that I go to the gym is I go for health and I eat for health I don't eat to be slimmer I'm not trying to lose weight I just eat what I want but I've got a certain sort of things that I'll eat like fruit and veg and meat and stuff like that I don't try and not go outside it um, and the things that he so basically this guy was training like a bodybuilder and eating like a bodybuilder and I was like is he want to be a bodybuilder he's like no he just wants to look good I was thinking to myself man that's so fucked up that this guy's paying like £800 a month to go in and absolutely fucking tear himself up in the gym yeah. and then he's eating like fucking 6,000 calories of just meat and veg every day for what to look good on a holiday it's like uh, that's weird man but then as I was saying that to myself, I was like, you used to be all about that. You would be yeah. like, that that was you at one point right. in time. Um, and I think it's really important that we that we talk about this because, like I said, there's just so much bad information out there and so many people that's like, well, just go to the gym or sort your diet out. And it's like, that can be toxic as well. Right. That can right. be destructive as I well. I think it's about finding, and again, as we've addressed on other episodes, what works for you. You know what I mean? Like that. It's one of those things like, for for example, you know, you're overeating after getting up the drink. I understand exactly where you're coming from. As I said, I've spent, you know, three of the last four months completely dry trying to square myself away. Um, but like, for a period of time, like, it sounds weird, but the drinking worked for me for a while. You know what I mean? And 
clearly for at least a period of time while you were getting after drink with the eating worked for you but then obviously that mindfulness that recognition of yourself then pushed you to you know another degree like body image is another one of the things i feel like you know men particularly are discouraged for talking about you know we have the like dad bod debate on like fucking twitter jokingly Mm -hmm. but like I don't really see a lot of, you know, it is all GQ magazine men and stuff like that that we get, we oh, get fed. It's fucking rife just now, man. Like, Instagram. Love Island, guys. Aye, so Jordy Shore, Jersey Shore, that sort of started it a wee bit with a sort of, like, Every meathead. Aye, like triangular bodies. Aye. <laughs> like, and your body's no triangular, but <laughs> the, funny, no right. the funny yeah. thing about this situation um, is, is that this is something that women have been dealing with for, like, decades Oh, the well, expectation on their looks is incredible. But this is another one that I think that your generation and the generations that have come up need to be really aware of. I was in the gym last week and I seen a wee guy and I was thinking to myself, he looks about fucking 12. What the fuck is he aye. doing in a gym? Aye. I get, Why is he we, in the gym? We get that as well with the gym that, that we train in. Mm-hmm. There's so many times that I've been on my watches and I'm like, ah, fucking age is that wee guy. Mm-hmm. Like, there, was a, there was a wee guy that was he'd went to a leg extension machine the same idea he looked about 12 it was too heavy he just about snapped his leg snapped his legs mm-hmm. and he broke the machine so dangerous and I'm like, why are you in a gym unsupervised that's mm. it man and it, it's so so scary but you're right it's that like Jersey Shore kicked off and now it, it's Instagram it's just it's so fucking toxic man mm-hmm. like everybody wants to look like these people and like nobody's comfortable in their own skin it's, it, I think mm. it's taken me to this year to be finally comfortable like I'm, I'm the same as you now like I, I'm back to enjoying the gym mm-hmm. but I'll still have a takeaway like yeah like I'll have a drink once a month now mm-hmm. like yep but I go to the gym because I enjoy it I'm more I'm more gone it's like because I, I piled on the weight at first mm-hmm. at the start of the year mm-hmm. I've done it to lose the weight again um but now I'm just I'm just I'm happy with them myself that's it man that's like, I'm just Loving a good life, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm happy. I'm in no way, I suppose, if anybody's listening to this, I'm no shitting on people that go to the gym because I go to the gym. But yeah, yeah, I think that, like, we guys, like, I think what's important is if you are aspiring to be a bodybuilder, go and work out. Aye, perfect. If you want to be a sports guy, mm-hmm. go and work out. If you want to look a bit better, go and work out. But what you don't want to do is crushing your self-esteem under this expectation that I need to be there five days a week, I need to do a five-day split, I need to try and get my squats up to this, I need yeah. to be deadlifting this, and my protein shake needs to be at this time. And my, my See, if you're doing that and you're not a professional bodybuilder, there might be something going on. I think that might Aye. be like a warning thing. If only I do 10 mil reps, I'll feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. If only I do another set, I'll you know feel better about myself. It's, it's maybe not always going to be the case. Mm-hmm. You know on I mean? the food front, man, I've, I've I mean... <clears throat> I've tried every single fucking diet under the sun. Like I've done, and so you've done some crazy shit. With oh, I've, I've done some. I've done some like crazy fucking diets. Do you know what I mean? And um, one of the things that's really important, like you were saying, that like food what you're. I, I genuinely subscribe to that. Your food is so important. Like if you put, if you're gonna be eating shit, you're gonna feel it shit, Aye, and and that includes protein shakes fat burners creatine like what if you're going and you're buying like fucking 30 days worth of protein powders for like 25 quid what the fuck do you think's going into that man no. chemicals and absolute I shit like facts uh, and stuff were, uh, what was it some I, I don't know name it but there's 
um, a product that pops up on Facebook every now and again, and it's basically like, replace food with this. And you're like, replace food? Like, why the fuck would anybody want to do that? You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. show? Aye, well, aye, that's the one I was trying not to name just All in right. case. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I thought, you were, I thought you were just, you just couldn't think no, I was trying to, I was going to go to soften the white bags and blah, blah, blah. But uh-huh. I, um, I that like, replace your food, your food with this, and you're like, like, who the fuck wants to replace food? Like, I know you might need to have a better relationship with food or a better understanding of what's good for you and what's no, but who the fuck is replacing food? Like, mm-hmm. no, boo. And anybody with an eating disorder on it, yeah, like, that's just anything. Well, that's what I was doing. I was, I was doing anything just to get a six pack. Like that, mm-hmm. that was that, that was the end goal. Like, I need a six pack. Need a six pack. Didn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. How did it feel when you got it? looking back now nothing feels as good as six pack looks it's it's, what you what you say though like I I put in so much work Mm -hmm. of what I deemed as so much work but so much work was like under eating and fat burners Mm -hmm. to get a six pack for a week night beater and it's like looking back I'm like why the fuck did I put myself Mm -hmm. through six months of hell to get a six pack for that. I think week. like I felt good, but nothing really changed. Nothing nothing internally really changed. Like I I wasn't fixed when I got my six pack. Like I wanted a, I wanted that and I got it and I felt good that I had achieved that. But really I still felt the same. I still felt kind of shit. Do you that's, know what I mean? That, that's what put me off getting a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's flying the flag for positive uh, mental health. I'm here representing dad bods all across the UK. But I think like uh, that, it, again, it's important. I think like if people listen to this and they're maybe worried about their partner or whatever and their partner's like, say for instance, like, and this is what I, what I recognised in myself, a social situation comes up, I wouldn't go because I'd be like, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. So like pals would be like, do you want to, do you want to come out? Times, do you want to come out or do you want to, and you're like, I've not seen my pals for a couple of weeks and I'd be like, nah, because I want to be up at six to go to the gym. I think when, if you've got a partner or if you've got a friend and that is literally what they're doing, you should be asking them, are you all right? Is everything right. okay? Like maybe that's no like good behavior to be like giving up time mm. with friends and family to go and lift weights. Right. Do you know I, what I mean? Definitely. I just, I just think the whole situation can, can consume somebody like mm-hmm. so much like that's obviously you've been through it yourself I'm, I've, I've went through it like you just the blinkers are on like yeah. it's just mm-hmm. the end goal and you don't actually realise that you're right one you're not really feeling any better mm-hmm. like I felt good for a week and I came back and I was like ah, I felt a bit pointless what, what do you do now <laughs> like, yeah. like so it's just uh, it's daft like just go to the gym and enjoy it don't Go to the gym and just talk to yourself mm-hmm. like, to the point of where you're becoming more well. Like. I think, and as well as you know, obviously the, the mental and physical side that we've been talking about. Um, one of the areas in which I think again our similarities cross over is that you've been quite sort of talkative about your partner and um, the the drive that came for you know wanting to keep her in your life, and and that's something that resonates with me as well in terms of my own relationship. But like, I think one of the things people need to keep in mind is gratefulness like you know to when you're in the hole and when you're trying to dig yourself back out is to be grateful for the things in your life that are still there and still working sounds like your relationship has been a huge part of that as, as it has in mind like i think it's important to recognize the the people that love you no matter what why it's on there beside you and, and support you no matter what and it sounds as though that's a a, a huge thing you've got in your corner um 
on top of that, we were talking about them, the sort of generational stuff, you know, your generation to yours, we're still always quite young guys, but beyond that, well, relatively speaking, <laughs> relatively speaking um, we're younger than the group of guys I'm about to start talking about. Um, one of the things, um, you know, you obviously work in a, uh, you're a coach builder, Hi. and it's quite a quite a traditional environment. You were saying the workforce itself is, is a wee bit older um, than yourself, and it kind of rang true with my experience with my dad, your dad as well, that older generation. And uh, when I was initially talking to my dad about your group, because we do occasionally talk about these things, um, he's for the Gangard Road, you know, Royston Road, all his days, and was like, that was just no thing in my day. You know what I mean? Like guys getting together, talking about their issues, and really kind of like being open to hearing what each other are about, like, just wouldn't have happened. Like, it was literally just up the budget at the end of your shift, get a pint down your neck, sharp. You know what I mean? Like, and I think, is that something that you've maybe struggled with? Is that, uh, how do you find, like, working in that masculine environment with, like, an older generation of guys? Is, is there pushback against it? Do you find them quite supportive? Is there questions? I know. Hmm. Like, I've... I'm very, very selective who I've really talked to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a, a lot of support for guys. Yeah. Um, but on the other side of the coin, it's that, it's that toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like, that's no deal. Yeah. I found out, like, when, when I was going through my depression, I was going, going to my, my counselling, my gaffer at the time. I found this out, like, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going around saying to boys in the line, what's what you're saying about him? he's got depression he might react yeah and it just that infuriated me because one that's my personal business yeah you've got absolutely no right to talk about that mm-hmm. and two like like you end up with like people with like preconceived ideas of what you're going to be like mm-hmm. people walking eggshells with you mm-hmm. like yeah. it's, thankfully it's not like that now but yeah i've had boys come up to me and mock and say like, ah, that's not real man mm-hmm. up it's weird because i mean I've had similar experiences and worked with people who have went, oh, by the way, you know, watch it out for him and yada yada. And like, I, I felt that anger that you're talking about. But I think there's part of me that recognises that sometimes it is actually well-intentioned. And it's maybe just that that older generation of people have never really talked or thought in these terms. And sometimes that even when they do try and, you know, like help, and you know, as, as they maybe sometimes think they're doing, they actually make sort of matters worse. Um, <clears throat> I mean... I've found personally that as I've spoken about it, I'm, it's maybe because I'm getting a wee bit older, that older men actually, they seem to be quite responsive. Like, you know, my dad's, my uncles and various other folk have actually opened up and shared stuff with us. Is, is that something that you've experienced at all with the guys at work? Nah, not no. really, but I think just because I'm, my work's far sweetie wife, right. so I'm just, <laughs> I'm very, very select with who I speak to yeah. about it. So, but I, I have had that, a guy come up to me um, and say, like, because they're bringing in mental health first aiders, um, and I've had a, I've had a few boys saying to me, like, you're you're perfect for it. There's mm-hmm. nobody better than someone mm-hmm. who's had life experience. Yeah, and like I've had people saying that they would they would come to me, which is a good feeling as well. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm all I'm all going to bite your head off. Of course, <laughs> yeah. And that's it's, it's a daunting thing, though. Like, it's, I say that to any, anybody that's new that comes to a group my Saturday, like. You've done the, the, the two hardest things is one admitting that you've got a problem mm-hmm. and two walking through the door to sit in a group of guys that you don't know. Like yeah. you've done the two hardest things, like just like open up, open talk, up talk about it and like, I mean it's the amount of guys that walk out of our group like, oh, 
feel amazing now, like mm-hmm. it's because you're built up I think so, so much shit. You were talking about like the, the generational differences. I think that there's two I mean, we talk about this quite a bit, so and I've got that problem where I think about everything too much. So yeah. I've thought about this quite a quite a bit and try to figure out like why is it that the older generations didn't really go through this? And the only thing that I can really sort of pinpoint is is that they really went for this cradle to grave, but school to shipyards, mm-hmm. and we just don't have that. We don't have that same purpose. Yeah. We, 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 I think the people like like my dad accepted that they were going to work all their days. That was actually like a badge honour. I'm mm-hmm. going to work all my days. Whereas we've got all the possibilities laid out in front of us today, whatever we want today and whatever yeah. we choose. And we've kind of just don't we're rejecting i think that lifestyle mm. that because we're talking about um younger generations of people that are going out on a friday night and they're not realizing like my dad used to come home absolutely pissed drunk every friday and saturday night yeah he would go through the building this the, it was a scaffolder for the building site straight to the pub him up to the football on a saturday back to the pub and then sunday sunday dinner watch football on the telly go to his bed go up go back to work so he was in that same thing yeah and i think that alcoholism drug abuse was rife absolutely rife but we just don't i don't think for some reason we just don't talk about it we just talk about it in the open aye we've got this nostalgic looking back and going all the good old days and like this is we see this quite a lot now where people are sort of going we need to go back to these sensibilities of like the 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 50s and 60s and yeah and you're kind of like no no we fucking don't like we've got well, we should be progressing and pushing forward with something else. Yeah. No trying to <clears throat> push people back in fucking 50 years. I, th- I think as well, like, I think with the, the, the addiction side of it, like, the older generation have this, like, preconceived idea of what an, ad- an addiction is. Yeah. So, mm. people can be addicted to drugs and somebody will go, he's taking heroin. Well, no. Like, no. There's other drugs out there that people are addicted to. Yeah. Or he's addicted to drink. Oh, you would associate that with the guy with the red face, like the older generation with the red face walking down the street. Yeah, mm-hmm. the guy like, stinking a piss in the bookies. Aye, <laughs> so <laughs> it's just the, the older generation, I just have this stereotype of what these addictions are. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was an alcoholic, but I was addicted to drink last year. Yeah. But me walking down the street, would, would you go, oh, he's addicted to drink? No, you no. wouldn't. Eh? Like, so the, the, the older generation, it, it, I don't know if it's maybe just... Because of like what they've been through, like what you said, they're up straight mm-hmm. in the walk. Like there wasn't much else to do. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have just got these preconceived yeah. ideas of what mental health is, what addiction is, things like that. And it's like it, it, I think it's not not only do we need to educate the younger generation, we need to educate the older generation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like in the last year, two years, addiction for me. I mean, I was definitely. I grew up in a scheme. I was. I mean. I mean, unfortunately, we went about on junkies at times. Like, we would go and target people. And it, I'm looking back at that and just thinking, these people are victims. Like, they were... Half of them... Well, the majority of them, their parents were either alcoholics yeah. or junkies themselves. But, like, you're saying this stereotype, and I would always be like, ah, he's just a junkie, he's just a junkie. And then now, as an adult, I'm looking back and realising, man, that poor guy, that guy must have been going through fucking hell. Because... I know what his parents were like. His big brother was an absolute maniac. You know, like it was always the nutter yeah. and like that type of thing. And you're looking back and going, these people never really had a fucking chance. But that has got a lot to do with 
I think the way the media portrays, yeah, like, that's a working class. I'm in that mean? sense because, for example, as I said, when I've had my issues with drinking the last year or so, you know, when somebody goes, Alki, I'm with you, that the red faced wee guy who's tipped her in a doorway with his dug on the way home and a kind of super lager hanging out his jacket, you know what I mean? Like, whereas, you know, there's somebody like me who's, you know, in his mid 30s and a well paid, you know, semi professional job that, you know, I never missed a day of work. I never phoned in sick. I never did any of other things. But I was still going home at night and stanking like three quarters of a bottle of Jack Daniels six nights a week. Mm. You know what I mean? Like so, for that period, as much as you know, I don't necessarily consider myself an alcoholic now. But as you say, there was a period of time when I was addicted to alcohol, and like I think the older generation had that. You know, as you say, my dad would come home on a Friday night, open a bottle of white and Mackay with my ma, and by the time Sunday came round, they'd rattle three bottles between them. You know what I mean? Like, that's a fucking lot of right. alcohol. But, like, there would have been never a time that would have even occurred to my mother to consider themselves alcoholics. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? A functioning alcoholic was almost, like, something that you were, like... It's a bad job. Like, I remember a guy that used to kick about Rudry and he worked for the council. He was, like, a bin guy. I remember my sister telling me, I think it was about 14, she was, like, he's a heroin addict. And I was like, that, that can't, what, what are you talking about? He's, he's got a job. And she was like, ah, he's a functioning heroin addict. And I was like, mm, good for him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Almost like can remember thinking, if he can oh, do man, fair play to him. Fair play to him. <laughs> Aye, fair play to him, man. And it's like, no. no. <laughs> Fuck no, man. Aye, but I think that like that's something that a lot of people have been dealing with, but we just don't, we've not seen it, is these functioning addicts that get up and they, they force themselves to go to work every day and they take care of their family and for the outside looking in, you think, oh man, they've got that, that that's a great life, but then secretly, they're probably going home, drawing yeah. the curtains and doing whatever they're doing and I think probably more prevalent in older people has been yeah. a case of lag on a bottle of whiskey or whatever, right. it's been like that. When I say, in my work, like, years gone by, like, you hear the stories of, like, all the daft ones, mm. like ah, he was mental. Like he'd go out to the out the bars at lunchtime, come back pissed, or they bring drink in. And everybody's saying uh. a laugh and a joke about it, and I'm like, ah, what? Uh, he's like, involved with heavy machinery. Like, <laughs> like, how can you find that funny? Like that is mm-hmm. somebody that's got like, but as like all the guys that talk about it, they wear it as a badge honour, mm-hmm. like. Even though it's not even ah, brilliant, like I want this, that, that was funny. Because it was the example that. that was set for them. Right? It's reinforcing Jesus, their, their addiction as well. I think that's a good, that's a part of it. Is is that like at one point in time I was a sex addict, and we were talking on drunk therapy about the times when I sat up the stairs in this house and had four in my mates room and just looked, gone like, oh, I've matched this bird on ten. I'm going to bang her later. Well, I check her out of it. Blah blah blah. And people encouraging that behaviour, being like, oh, wow, man. Like, yeah. And you can almost, it validates it. And you're like, oh, aye, man, I'm, I'm the big man. Like, this, is, this is it. And then, but then you wake up the next day and you feel like shit. And you're like, oh, why do I feel like this? I don't want to feel like this. Yeah. And then you go through this cycle of sort of fighting against that feeling, no realising that all your toxic behaviour is causing this fucking horrible feeling in you. Aye. And you kind of need to get rid of it. Do you know what I feel like you're indulging in your vice to stop the sadness to stop the, the depression to stop the anxiety because when you're drunk or when you're having sex or when you're having drugs or food or whatever it is you feel better but you're no acknowledging the fact that you feel shit afterwards because you've overdid in the first place you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's no solving your problem it's what's driving it i, mm-hmm. I just never 
it never occurred to me to stop doing it <laughs> because I was just always just like, nah, just that makes me feel better, so I'll just keep doing that. And yeah. that's, I suppose, that is what addiction is, isn't it? Aye. It's just as it they start sense of normality, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just, I, when I was, you want to take yourself out of the situation, they, what you're feeling like on a day to day basis, like, yeah, it was like me with a drink, it just that feeling of being steaming and no caring about what I was actually gone through mm-hmm. was. To me, obviously, in my head, was like, ah, oh, that's the best feeling ever. And then mm-hmm. you wake up rough and it's game day, and those feelings are multiplied times ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like as well that you've managed to get yourself back to a place where, and this is something that's kind of like frowned upon um, when you see it spoke about in public, is that people can actually be have a, a better relationship with whatever their vice is. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of Matt that. We've seen them have a couple of drinks. Like last weekend, we come up and we watched the UFC and we watched four the champ- Champions League final and had four four cans of beer. And when I came down the stairs, with my girlfriend, I was like, "I'm actually so happy to see that Matt just sat and had a couple of drinks and didn't get pissed." Because normally it would have been a Champions League final. He'd have sat and drank a bottle of whiskey. Aye. Um, and I think it sounds like you're saying you you can manage to drink once a month. So your relationships vastly changed. Aye. Was there a point where you actually like realised, or was it just sort of like dipping your toes in the water, just like, I'll see how I go on with us? Kind of seen how I get on. Like mm-hmm. I was see this, the turn of the year, I was terrified. Like every time I, I thought about drinking, I'm like, no, 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 because you're just going to fall back into that place you yeah. were. And it just started off like I'll have a can of beer, mm-hmm. and then like I, I mean, I was out for the Scotland game last week. I was out all day Saturday mm-hmm. and then I went out with my missus all day Sunday and I woke I was rough on the Monday but yeah. it was known that I don't have that anxiety anymore and that depression and mm-hmm. it's a good feeling but it's yeah. not something that I do every weekend like mm-hmm. just because I had stuff on but like I had a can of beer last night whereas before I would have a can of beer, I'd have another can of beer, I'd have another can of beer, and before you know it, I'm going up the shop to get a bottle of tonic and two can of dragon shit. And it's like, I could never just see myself, or like, you go out for a couple of pints, a couple of pints, never a couple of pints, is it? That's it, mate. But it's now, I could quite happily just go out and lose our head to a pint and come down Mm -hmm. the road. I think, like, even myself, when I I really think about it, I couldn't go out. I used to have this, I used to say to people, like, I can't, I'm either all in or else I don't want it uh, at all aye. and I, I so I even I had a terrible relationship with booze because I would if I went for a night out we would go and it would be Oof. like you would be sitting in here and you pre-drink so it would be like what, half a bottle of vodka and maybe like a couple of ciders or beers whatever it is then you would be out and as soon as you were through the door it would be like shots yeah. right I want get me three Jack and Coke and uh, two shots of tequila and then but before you know it's three o'clock in the morning you're fucking slabbering down yourself do you know what I mean right. whereas now um, and this is only last year that I decided do you know what I'm going to actually try and go out and it was my Christmas night out last year I was like I'm going to have I'm I'm going to have four pints I'm not going to go I'm not going to have any more than four pints and I'm just going to see how I got on here because I hadn't drank in like a year and I, I had the first pint and I don't. I, I woke up the next day and actually felt like a sense of achievement that I'd went out mm. had a good night out but didn't feel the need to get absolutely fucking rat ass drunk. Do yeah, you know what I mean? right. it's kind of again kind of links with some of the things I was actually saying just after the drunk podcast uh, we did the other week. There was he's texting me the next day going, "How you doing, mate?" Because this was like the first sort of proper drink I'd really had since since the turn of the year, and this was four months down the line sort of thing. 
and I was like, as you say, the next when you say you woke up on the Monday and yeah, you were rough, but like you still felt good. You know what I mean? And that's why I was saying. I'm going, do you know what? I actually quite enjoy the fact that I've got a hangover because I've been drinking to the extent where I didn't get hangovers anymore. I could put a bottle of Jack Daniels away and I'm going to work the next morning and not even break sweat. You know what I mean? Like that's the level I was at. So to actually like sit and have like half a dozen Jack and Cokes and a couple of cans of lager and wake up the next morning going, oof, I was like, do you know what? This is actually like a sign that what I've been doing in the last couple of months has actually worked because my body is no longer so used to the alcohol that it doesn't even register with it anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I was about that and all. Like, I was the same as you. I, I could drink and drink and drink. I'm a lightweight anyway. Like, I can't handle my drink at all. But I'd be absolutely seeming I wouldn't wake up with a hangover. Like, mm. And you just become accustomed to that. Yeah. Like, the first bottle of wine I had this year, because I, I love my wine. Yeah. Like, right, we, the, your fans are buck <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> can't can beat it. Like, the first, I had one bottle of wine and I woke up like the roughest of us. Proper serried and everything, and it was always like, I've missed this. Aye. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, there is something nice about sitting on a Sunday hungover, isn't there? Aye. Like eating shit, getting takeaways. Aye, yeah. <laughs> like, you do miss it. <laughs> the thing that you don't need the fear. Yeah. You know, people talk about the fear. Mm-hmm. If you're going out and you're getting pissed in a Saturday night, we are, I don't, there's, again, there's nothing wrong with going out and having a good time and getting steaming yeah. with your mates every now and again and going and join a nightclub and having a dance and all that. I, like I've done that plenty of times but mm-hmm. the thing that that accompanies that and has became normal was this idea of rattling the next day like oh the next day is a pure write off that was when I started to go do you know what I need to do something about this because every time I had a drink I would get pissed I wouldn't be hungover I would be like dis- like debilitated the next yeah. day I would literally be like lying in my bed all day eating shite just checking out Netflix and just being pure can I deal with this man mm-hmm. and it would be like three days of that do you know what I mean? And I think that's when you need to start taking a look and going, maybe maybe I've got a bad relationship here, maybe or maybe something else is going on. It might mm-hmm. not even have anything to do with the actual drink, but I think that's a, a sign that something's maybe underlying and maybe you need to take a look at a, a look inside, do you know what I mean? Aye, definitely. That's it feels just anxiety, isn't it? Like mm. I, I, I I used to get like that, like oh, the fear, like oh, and it was, I was the exact same, just lying in bed all day, watch Netflix, all the takeaways, eat hearts of shit, and you do, you still feel like that, like, two, three days later. Aye. But I wasn't really registering why I was like, oh, two-day hangover, three-day hangover, whatever. Like, at 25, mate. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, like, still be invincible. Aye, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, that is, now that I've educated myself in mental health, and I've educated myself in anxiety, because, like, that's, I want to go and become a counsellor now, that's, that's my goal. Like I want to be able to help people professionally Amazing, mate. because I've because I've been through it and because I've now educated myself. I look back on my I that was a hangover on a Sunday, but the other three days you felt like that is anxiety. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. that is just your anxiety. It's no help with the drink, but that was that's what was causing that. And for I, I think the fear's glorified. It's certainly glorified in my generation yeah. on Twitter, like, oh I've got the fear and all that. So the thing with the old boys into it, where they go, I you know, I was there when he did that, that I, kind of I, thing. You the, know, it's the modern the, equivalent here. The fear is nothing to be glorified because anxiety is not to be glorified. Mm-hmm. Like, no. That is all you're going through is anxiety, and like you just need to wake up and see that that's that's what's causing it. Yeah, three day hangovers are absolutely not an actual legitimate thing. <laughs> no. But if you're still hanging three days later, there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan, I think to be honest with you, at that point, we've, we've covered all our talking points. Um, we're a wee bit earlier here, and I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that you'll probably have your group to get to um, the day as well. Um, obviously, best luck with that. 
Um, just want to say, like, massive thanks for coming in and sharing your story for us. I think we said ourselves that it's easy to have, you know, local celebrities in and talk, but, like, what we want to do is get ordinary folk talking and your experience has been invaluable in doing that. So I really appreciate you coming in and sharing it with us. And, like, any time you want to come back, man, door's always open. Right, thanks for Cheers, that. Cheers, man. Cheers.